Being undercover can mean many things. It can be about feeling safe. It can be about feeling protected. It can be about digging. Uncovering our search for meaning, our investigation of what life is, our desire for seeing what is usually under the cover of normalcy. We are a society that's undercover. This podcast is about lifting that cover and seeing what's underneath. The network of things and meanings that connect us all. Welcome to the very first episode of the Undercover Podcast. My name is Brody Hoyne. Now, the arrival of the coronavirus has confined many of us in our homes and has shut us off from the real world. Human interaction and connection have fallen. Humanity as we know it has spiralled into a deep, dark hole. So how can we come out of it? RMIT Journalism welcomes you to the Undercover Podcast. For this episode, our theme is freedom. Now, at the moment, it feels like freedom is somewhat of a paradox. Are we free to think about what the future holds when it seems so uncertain? Do we have financial freedom? Do we have freedom of movement? Do we have freedom of thought? We have stories this episode about people with underlying health issues that make them susceptible to COVID-19. And one of them can't tell anyone about it, for good reason, which we'll hear about later on in the episode. A story on how running to the beach has set one woman free from her isolation. We'll learn about the closures of public transport, leaving many Victorians to brave the open air and commute. And a story about a woman diagnosed with a rare respiratory disease dealing with her fears during the coronavirus pandemic. But first, what is it like when freedom turns to captivity? My sister works in a cruise ship casino in the Caribbean. Her name is Bridget. About a month ago, she was messaging the family telling us of her travels. She wasn't getting paid much, but she was able to visit the places she had docked in. Barbados, Puerto Rico, Cuba, the Bahamas. I thought to myself at the time, you are just so, so friggin' lucky. About a week later, Bridget was confined to the ship in isolation for 30 days, unable to dock anywhere and just floating in the ocean. Now, she has no idea when she can get off the ship and return home to Australia. Hello. Yes. What's going on? We're going into freedom isolation from tomorrow, so they closed earlier today. Yeah, we're all going to be stuck in our, in our own cabin for three days. Honestly, we have no cases on board, and it's been more than 15 days. The whole fleet is doing it as a precaution because there's been cases on other ships. So everyone gets their own single cabin for three days. You're saying that they won't let you dock anywhere? So basically what happened was we got told two weeks ago after our, while our passengers were still on board that because of the coronavirus, Royal is ceasing operations for 30 days to stop spread and ensure the health of their crew and passengers and stuff like that. Since then, obviously, it changes day by day, week by week, just like it does everywhere else. So we dropped all of our passengers off and then we went to sea. We were meant to dock on the 24th of March, but we were meant to be docking in uh, Gulfport, Mississippi, and essentially what's happened is we were unable to dock because of Mississippi said that we weren't allowed to dock and the community was protesting about us docking. So we didn't dock for an extra three days and we just docked for suppliers. 
it's not about uh, wanting us to be taken or whatever. It's a logistic thing. So as a ship, you have to book a port. Okay. Um, in order to stay there, you need to get permission from the council and from the government before you can dock there. It's mostly that I think the public is just scared that cruise ships are just carrying this disease everywhere and every cruise ship is diseased, which is not actually the case. Some of the cases that have come on board of the ships have been from people outside coming onto the ship. What's a day in the life look like? So basically, um, as soon as the passengers came off, we procedures when it comes to sanitization. So we call it OPP. We had to sanitize, obviously, have to sanitize the casino with special chemical and then we have to clean everything we have to deep clean our cabins as well and sanitize everything there there's bars for the crew so the bar stuff are still working the people in the restaurants are still working because the crew has to eat in the restaurants the chefs still working because they have to feed the crew the engineers and everything all anyone who is essential is still has still been working their normal job the meal times are set morning and dinner we have to do a mandatory temperature check every day and then we can be in our cabin we can be up on the pool deck but there's a lot of areas that are closed off as well that was my sister bridget calling from the caribbean now don't forget you can follow us on twitter at cover underscore podcast but more importantly we want to hear from you leave the podcast a voice message on 03 9018 and tell us how you are navigating during this period of isolation. What are you thinking about? How are you feeling? What have you experienced? We'd love to include your message in a future podcast. We move on to our first story for the episode. Now, we generally like to think of ourselves as free, free to go about our lives the way we choose to. Coronavirus has changed that for a lot of us, elderly people especially. But the elderly aren't the only people at risk of death from coronavirus. There are many people with invisible illnesses who are at risk as well. Before the threat of coronavirus, they were free to choose whether to disclose their health status or not. But now, they face a new question. Will keeping it a secret put them in danger? Eva Marchingo with the story. This is Jess. Hi, my name is Jess. I'm 30 and I live in regional Victoria. When she looks in the mirror, she sees a healthy body before her. But that's not the whole story. I'm a type 1 diabetic, a celiac, and about three years ago, I almost died from meningococcal pneumonia. I asked Jess what she's worried about regarding coronavirus. As somebody who, you know, finds themselves in two risk groups with having two autoimmune conditions and having had a respiratory event like meningococcal pneumonia, it's something that I've done quite a bit of research into. And I, like my biggest concern, I think, is the idea of, you know, we hear a lot of the rhetoric about flattening the curve and doing all of this stuff and just seeing like in Italy and all these places where they haven't done that and the intensive care units being overwhelmed with patients and having to pick and choose who gets treated that really terrifies me knowing that I have been in a situation where I have been fighting for breath and terrified for my life and I you know I was 
thankfully cared for, taken to an ICU, put on a ventilator. The idea of not being able to get relief like that is something that, yeah, there really aren't words for the nervousness that that gives me. Jess has two separate illnesses that compromise her immune system, and she's prone to life-threatening respiratory infections. These three things do not bode well with coronavirus. If I get COVID-19, I'm going to be one of those people who is going to be deeply affected by it. Jess has a network of friends and family to help keep her safe during this crisis. So a lot of my friends do know about my autoimmune diseases and my meningococcal experience. Um, my closest friends are all really good about it. I have to be careful. Like they know that I've got to be careful with my health because I, um, I, I'm immunocompromised, like I'm in a high risk group, so they know to sort of look after me in that regard. But what if no one knows that you're at a higher risk? We talked to Jane. That's not her real name and you won't be hearing her real voice either. We can't tell you who she is or any other identifying features. Why? Jane is HIV positive and it's her biggest secret. was diagnosed in about 2016 but I had no idea that this is uh, this is what was wrong with me um, I also had no idea that my husband had a um, another life that I didn't know about I went and had a test a full STI test and that's when I found out that I was HIV positive for me I um, I certainly just could not divulge this information to others. Up until a few days ago, Jane has had to physically go into work. No one knows her status there, but she still needs to keep herself protected and her secret safe. I work in an essential service, I, could, I suppose you could say, and I, um, no one in my workplace knows about my condition and my possible... Um, uh, compromised health status in, in regards to the coronavirus. Not everyone with HIV is at a greater risk of contracting coronavirus, but Jane is particularly immunocompromised, meaning her body really struggles to fight off infections. I, I feel quite compromised in my workplace because this is not something that I can ever share. People have said to me, ah, oh, so, well, you don't need to worry. You're generally fit and healthy. And, you know, yes, you're, you're in your early 60s, but that doesn't matter. And, and I just simply cannot, cannot tell them what, what the issues are. 
so I, I just have to let that go and laugh it off and just concern myself with other people and how they're feeling. I guess I'm super paranoid if I get this disease that I would be hospitalised and I don't want to share my status in my local hospital. You know, news does travel. So that's what I'm particularly concerned about. So I'm a little bit different to my husband because he has very, very good CD4 count. A CD4 count is a way of measuring your immune system function. So high is good and low is not so good. But my CD4 count has been quite low and I don't know why that is because I've been on antiretrovirals now for a few years but for some reason it still remains low. We're very, very careful. We're currently social isolating, which is very difficult when I can't see my children, who I adore, and the very thought of it reduces me to tears. Defending your right to take extra precautions should be the last thing on your mind during a pandemic of this size. People like Jess or Jane shouldn't have to disclose intimate details about themselves to be able to stay safe. For Jane especially, freedom isn't about whether she's allowed to go outside or not. It's about being free to keep her status confidential. You might not think you know anyone who fits into the immunocompromised category, but the chances are you do. It could be a housemate or a friend. It could be somebody you work with. It could even be you someday. Wouldn't you want the freedom of safety without having to disclose your status? I'm just hoping that I'm lucky. I'm hoping that a fighting spirit and the love of my family is enough to get me through this, but I just don't know. Eva Marchingo reporting there. It is important to remember that we need to adhere to the rules put in place during the coronavirus pandemic, not only for the safety of yourself, but for others as well. Ella Barry, like many of us, is feeling more trapped than ever amid the coronavirus outbreak. Locked inside for most of the day, Ella is finding new ways to feel free again. This is a story by Sophie Jacobson. So we're running past people, but it almost running feels surreal. It doesn't feel real because the streets are so empty and it's just it's just like a different experience. And now it feels like this privilege that only like a select bit. Now I'm waiting at the lights. I'm almost there. So close. I can see the beach from where I'm standing. Just gonna 
continuing to chase those sunsets. <laughs> um, almost there. Oh, wow. Hey, Ella. Hey, how are you going, Steph? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. This is my friend Ella. We've known each other for a number of years now. Over the past couple of days, rules and regulations in Australia have really stepped up due to the coronavirus outbreak. We've gone from seeing each other every other day to nothing. We've decided to call each other every now and then to check in. Uh, well, ever since we got the news that Dylan was diagnosed, it's been kind of like rough around the house. I was sitting on my bed and mum came in and she kind of looked shocked and she was looking at her phone and she was like saying how Dylan's been diagnosed with COVID-19, which was so... Ella's cousin was diagnosed with coronavirus a couple of days ago. The unimaginable had become true and everything seems a little more real for Ella and her family now. That it was no longer just another statistic. It was Dylan. London with his girlfriend, they both have it. It was just super weird because you keep hearing about everyone who um, is get like thousands of people that are getting um, this virus, but like it makes it so much more real when it's someone you know, because it's the first time that someone I know or even like related to um, that's got it. So it was just it just made the whole situation that seemed kind of like unearthly like a lot more real for me and the rest of the family, which is, yeah. So with all the things going on in the world right now and what's happening in your family life, can you tell me what's making you feel good and what's making you feel free? I started going on runs. It's kind of the only outlet for exercise that I can really do safely. And also if I keep getting cooped up here with my family, I was literally going to go crazy in isolation with them. So it was kind of like a nice escape to like run away from what kind of seems like a bit of a prison even though obviously it's my house it's not a prison (laughs) well one I feel guilty for leaving the house and kind of being in open spaces because you're not supposed to really be outside but like obviously running and keeping currently around 720,000 people have been diagnosed with the coronavirus globally and 33,000 people have died by the time you are hearing this those numbers will only have risen all over the world hospitals are overwhelmed the stock market is crashing World leaders are pleading citizens to stay inside. Economies are plummeting. People are losing their jobs. Grocery stores are empty. Restaurants and bars are closed. People are sacrificing their freedom. I still have some sort of control of freedom over this, like, absolutely insane situation. So right now, at home, what's it like being with your family 24-7? I mean, we have, like, our good and our bad days. Sometimes we all get really get along and it like is nice to like have like more family bonding time because you're kind of forced to hang out and it's really nice. Then other days we literally, one person could be in a bad mood and you it like completely ruins the whole dynamic. Everyone wants to snap each other's heads off and you just are kind of in this cycle where one person always seems to be grumpy. It's super frustrating to be in and to like obviously stay positive because you've got to try and stay positive when you're in this crazy situation that we argue over the dumbest things as i said before me and maddie were arguing over who got the rest of the spring i then let ella go on i let her get everything off her chest from fighting over food in the kitchen with her sister to treading on each other's toes and catching each other in not so great moods from her room being a little too messy for her mother's liking and getting in the way of her father trying to work from home i think she needed the vent and for me to listen 
and it was literally the most annoy- annoying, frustrating thing. And then she did 360 at like 7 p.m. and decided to be nice to me, which was just, oh. oh. <laughs> it had occurred to me that maybe Ella's running was about more than just the exercise. She was running from reality. The reality that this virus had hit so close to home. The realisation that it could happen to anyone. The world as she knows it has changed and probably changed forever. She is making the most of the small freedoms she still has. And now realising the ones she had before, she probably took for granted. Miss just being able to like have the choice to move around, to like just like go out and see my friends, like um, even just like simple things like going out to brunch, going out to drinks, like some of my best mates are in a band, like going and seeing them. I love music festivals, like literally everything that happens in my normal daily life it involves me going outside and being around a lot of people and socializing so it's just like been literally the biggest change and it's kind of hard to like keep your normal routine and keep self positive when it just kind of feels like everything's just like turned on its head which is yeah so tell me what it's like when you go outside on these runs what are you noticing and what what feels familiar When I go outside, I feel like I am still kind of getting that part that I really like enjoy and need, which is kind of like going outside and like moving around and not staying in the same spot for too long. And I kind of get to like clear my mind and think and like the world kind of still seems normal, even though it's not. It makes me feel like I still get to like do normal things and live my normal life, but it also at the same time highlights how different things are. So now that these runs have become your new normal, how would you feel if I was to tell you the last run you went on was your last for the foreseeable future? I would feel trapped. I've reached the top. It's actually so nice. It's really... um. It's really still, it's so flat. I really want to pat the dogs, but I know you're not supposed to do that. Wow, this is, this is so nice. The water is so flat. It's like super duper pale. Everything's really like soft. The dogs are so cute, oh my God. Oh, they have fish and chips that smell so good. I feel so free being at the beach. (sighs) I've heard it said that freedom cannot be bestowed. It must be achieved. And in this moment, Ella has found her freedom. And maybe one day, the world will get its moment and find freedom once again. Finding that escape is just so important. I mean, I went running the other day and honestly, I completely zoned out. It was just a nice welcome change. Victorians are feeling more unsettled than ever as train, tram and bus services are being reduced or stopped altogether. Many people struggle to get to shopping centres and stores as some don't drive, leaving them stranded and having to walk. 
Victorian Public Transport has introduced changes to make their services infection-free, but the risk of COVID-19 looms higher than ever. Sheree Ratton is more. March 2020. Tram stops and train stations are empty, deserted and ominously quiet. Victorians are vulnerable and open to a virus not seen in a hundred years. Commuters and travellers are staying at home, engrossed in their own fears and possibly bored. Melbourne has been transformed into an unreal deserted town of halted transport and deserted cafes and silent langways. On Friday I had to walk to my local shopping mall as the bus service was unavailable. In the five minute foot journey there was stillness on the roads and footpaths. I walked in the open air knowing my very outing carried the risk of being infected and passing it on to others. My heart sank into a lump and my breath shortened with fear as I paced through the footpath, all because the bus services were unavailable that day. It felt surreal seeing no faces or common traffic, much more the sound of dull engines and traffic lights. It was almost shocking to see people walking around with face masks at the mall's entrance. The media explains that those who wear masks do so because they believe they are at risk. Add the fact I cannot use cash on buses to top up my Mikey to reduce the risk of drivers getting infected. The undercover podcast producer, Simone Etev, spoke to me about her similar experience as she doesn't drive and has had to rely on public transport to run errands. On Sunday morning, she had to walk to a local shopping centre as her preferred tram route 86 was shut down. Simone braved the open air and public places in her only option of transport. Walking to the shops is pretty much the only thing right now. Just be able to get away from everything and kind of the craziness of staying inside and staying isolated. It's just hard when public transport is obviously not working, the closures of it, and I'm not able to get to places as fast as I could. Kind of reminds me of like the olden days when my parents had to walk down to the shops and there wasn't any public transport. Metro trains and V-Line are panicking over financial loss as less people use their transport and more drivers reporting sick or self-isolating. Metro trains have been losing $2 million on average a week and V-Line is now losing roughly $1 million a week. Over the past fortnight, Melbourne trains, trams and buses have become emptier and stations have become quite amidst warnings to Victorians to stay at home when they can. Panic lies just beneath the surface. Everyone has the responsibility, directed by law enforcement and the government, to keep 1.5 metres away from each other as much as possible in confined spaces, including public transport. It is an unsettling time for Victorian travellers, especially those who can't or don't drive. Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews, who did not speak of fear, has advised that less people take public transport 
and work or study from home so less drivers are infected or put into self-isolation. Enough workers get sick that we can't run as many services as we would like to run. Uh, on the advice of the Chief Health Officer, you might stagger some of the services so that we didn't have people all on the system at one time in such close proximity to them, to, to each other. The advice may be for us to limit, even cancel some public transport services. In a bid to save drivers from infection, as of the 24th of March, the state government has sealed off front row seats with plastic tape on 50 trams and buses. The measures instill fear in passengers with the crime scene like tape covering the front seats. Swinburne University Dean of Health Scientist Professor Bruce Thompson insists on social isolation but says public transport is an exception as it is an essential service. We're trying to get everyone to distance themselves from each other. However, we're quite happy for someone to stand on a train with another few hundred people. Obviously, trains are an essential service. And so, so we need to think of other ways that we can try and make it a lot easier for people to travel, but also potentially distance themselves if they are using public transport. Although the Victorian government is trying their very best to maintain a safe city, the measures put in place for people like Simona Tev and myself and four million Victorians are unnerving as we try to keep our distance but stay connected. Finally today, we look at mental health amidst the coronavirus pandemic. We are now a society at a distance, forced to separate in order to survive. Many Australian citizens have been called home from overseas. Along with the shutdown of all non-essential services, Australians returning home now face new isolation measures. These include not only practising social distancing, but now isolating themselves for 14 days before they can be reunited with their family. But isolation can take a toll, as reporter Julia Ranieri finds out. world war so this is something that has 
affected, I think, every single life all over the globe. This is my cousin Gemma. She tries to stick to a routine while she's in isolation. Every morning, getting up, making herself breakfast and going about the day ahead of her as best she can. She was called back by her university last month, cutting her exchange short as she flew back to Melbourne in light of the coronavirus pandemic. Her dream cut short. She looks back on her time in Geneva fondly, living the life of a student in a new and exciting environment she wanted to only discover and make memories in. Now being in an environment where I'm completely by myself, that's also very different. When I was in Geneva, I also lived at a student hall of residence and it was very much the same. There were shared communal spaces, um, shared kitchens, so you're always with other people, always interacting. Um, yeah, and now I'm, I have to be in a period of isolation and, yeah, I'm not even able to see my family for two weeks. But now forced into a mandatory 14-day isolation period, reality truly sets in. I think what I miss most um, while in self-isolation is being able to have face-to-face conversations with people. It's really great with technology these days that you can FaceTime your friends or call your family virtually um, whenever you like, but technology does have its limitations sometimes simple things like Wi-Fi cuts out or when you're on a phone call, it's difficult to see people's body language and then maybe get the whole meaning of what someone's saying. So, yeah, it's really nice to just um, have a face-to-face conversation with someone and really get the whole picture when you're talking to them. Discussing the impacts of the virus, we also spoke about how she was keeping herself busy, occupied even, in what can seem like a very lonely time. Well, I'm trying to continue doing my university courses by distance. So that includes both ANU courses and University of Geneva courses. So I'm trying to keep um, busy by studying, which is something to focus on. I also try and do exercise in self-isolation. Usually Mm -hmm. I like to run outdoors, um, but because that isn't a possibility anymore, I... Um, put on little videos of little circuit training or yoga on YouTube and then um, in my room just try and complete those online because I think that being active is something that's really, really important for your mental health. So to try and find substitutes in self-isolation is a really good idea. As humans, we are innately social and often our instinct is to reach out, to touch or to be close to others when we feel unwell or afraid. Isolation can sadly bring upon feelings of anxiety, confusion and, and even anger. In self-isolation, it's a little bit hard to be feeling like you're up, still a part of um, something bigger than yourself. Uh, it's something that I think that in um, this period... Health is a real concern. Yet, in this crisis, we must not forget our mental health. It is just as important as our physical. Isolation is the enemy of good mental health. Sebastian Rosenberg, a senior lecturer and head of mental health policy at ANU, says that being isolated can often have negative effects on a person's mental state. And with that threat of isolation, I think this is a recipe for uh, increased mental illness. So, um, you know, I guess in some ways I think there is 
if you like, a, another kind of curve that we need to bend. You know, it's the curve not of corona but of mental illness. Everybody now associates hand washing with health promotion. You know, what's the hand washing equivalent for your mental health? And now as social distancing is implemented, we should be practising distant socialising, using the technology we have in front of us to connect and keep in touch with those we love and hold close to our hearts. Staying connected will make us happier, healthy and even more socially responsible as we continue to contend with this crisis and the unknown future it brings. How do we create that sense of personal agency and control? So, so first of all, I think we need to start with consistent, honest, regular information. You know, we really need to have uh, this information which can lead to better understanding of, uh, from, for people about what, more clearly about what they're facing and how to deal with it. And um, I think what's critical here is that, you know, technology now permits many of us, not all of us, and that's important, but many of us to connect in new and effective ways. And even this virtual connection provides vital social cohesion at a time when corona is literally uh, pushing us apart. We must remember that love is not just conveyed by touch. It can move between strangers, travel through objects even. There are so many things available to sustain us now, and though it might sound counterintuitive to say it, loneliness is one of them. The weird gift of loneliness is that it grounds us and gives us a commonality. We are all in this together. And as others watch the news, worry about the future, and the whole world is in the same boat, we have to realise we've never been less alone. That's our show this week. Thank you for being a part of it. A big thank you as well to Eva Marchingo, Sophie Jacobson, Cherie Ratton, and Julia Ranieri for their hard work in delivering those fantastic stories. And a big thanks to producers Tyson Whelan and Simone Etev, and executive producers Tito Ambio and Janak Rogers. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at cover underscore podcast. Call on 9018-5005 and share your stories of life in isolation. I'm Brodie Hoyne. This has been the Undercover Podcast. Stay safe, stay home, and please, stay golden.